Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Beaten Bow Homes. Are you looking for a new home for the new year? Beaten Bow offers more than 30 floor plans with homes starting as low as $1,100 a month. Set up a VIP tour today to speak to a sales team member and find your new home in Heritage Hills or Tradewind Square. Learn more at BeatonBow.com. That's B-E-T-E-N-B-O-U-G-H. This episode was also sponsored by the Union Hall Workspace, located off of Georgia near I-40. Union Hall offers flexible workspaces, dedicated desks, private offices, and even a meeting room that you can reserve. Uh, for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and other mobile workers who would enjoy and benefit from a creative co-working space. Learn more at unionhalltx.com. Today's guest is Evelyn Rivers McCoy. I'm sure that name is already familiar to you, especially this time of year due to Evelyn Rivers' Christmas Project, which serves economically disadvantaged children during the wintertime. Every year, this project provides coats and Christmas gifts to thousands of local children, And this year, the Christmas project turns 40 years old. Meanwhile, Evelyn's Sunshine Cottage helps single parents get a college education. Now, Evelyn was born elsewhere, but she came to Amarillo more than 50 years ago, and she has since become one of the most prominent members of Amarillo's nonprofit community. So we talk about her career in childcare, the origins of her coat drive, and the power of education for women in poverty. It's a really great conversation. I love speaking to her. Here's Evelyn Rivers McCoy. Evelyn Rivers McCoy, welcome to the Hey Marilla podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for including me. I'm really looking forward to well, this. I am, I'm looking forward to it too, uh, and I'm anxious to hear about everything that you're involved with. Before we get to things like the Christmas Project and what you're known for, I'd like to talk a little bit more about just you as a person and hear your story. So how did you end up here in the Amarillo area in the first place? Well, actually, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was raised in Covington, Kentucky. And when I graduated from high school, we as a family moved back to Little Rock. So I went to the University of Arkansas. And there was a wonderful basketball player on scholarship from Amarillo High School at the University of Arkansas. And I met him. And in time, we married. And he wanted to move back here because he is one of 10 and a very, very close-knit, very wonderful family. So I was blessed to move back here, be tucked into this wonderful family, and I can't think of a better place to live. And his name was? Wayne Rivers. Did he grow up in this area? Yes, he was born in Canadian. Okay. A railroader family. When the railroad moved to Amarillo, his family moved to Amarillo. And this is where they are ingrained, very ingrained here. There are only two that moved away from here, one to Oregon and one to Houston. The rest are here. Tell me about, I guess, the idea of moving here after having grown up in Arkansas and Kentucky. I mean, the Panhandle is very different from those places. Well, that has a yes and a no. The Panhandle is very, very different in its scenery. Um, trees. I had trees in my front yard. We had forests. We had uh, dogwood out in the backwoods, all kinds of beautiful things because of humidity, a bit cooler temperatures, lots of moisture, of course. Mm -hmm. But this town, this area, luckily not everybody knows about it. It is the most wonderful place to live. It's the people. It's the 
climate. It's the joy that is here. And I am blessed to be here. We talk a lot on this podcast about what Amarillo is like now. I mean, you moved here four decades ago. I did. What was it like then? I mean, what coming from Arkansas and, and ending up here, what were your impressions of the place? Well, of course, everybody mentions the wind. But I began to make a joke about that was we have no pollution. All of our smog is gone. We don't really have fog. And so if you have a cheerful personality, you can take it and say, I can make something really great about this. And I am, I think, a very upbeat person. And I look at, okay, so we do have wind. So other people say, you know, it's really windy today. It's 20 miles an hour. Well, that for us is a gentle breeze. Just enjoy it. Uh, They talk about how the temperatures are a little bit elevated. They are. But enjoy the breeze. It takes down the temperature as far as you're concerned. We have wonderful sunny days um, throughout the whole year. We're blessed with that. We don't have what Seattle or Portland has where it's a smoggy, overcast day. We are blessed to be where we are. And the people make it even as cheerful. So I'm glad to be here. What did you go to college to study? I was a home economics major in college. I definitely thought I was going to end up in foods and nutrition or I was the one who was going to design those gorgeous wedding gowns and those beautiful big prom dresses and love all that fabric. But God had a different idea. <laughs> and it ended up that I ended up in childcare. I wanted a very large family. I have one sister. We loved each other and our couple of cousins. We didn't have a big family at all. But once I experienced a big family, which was Wayne's family, I thought, this is for me. This is what I want. And so I thought that's exactly the the mission that I was set out to do. Instead, um, I took care of children, of working parents, and treated those as though they were my own. Um, I taught them to bake and how to make cookies, and we made chocolate cakes, and we learned things that I would have taught to my own children had I had five or six or seven or eight. And so that was the path I was destined to be. I just didn't know that. Is it something that you sought out when you got here, or did it sort of just organically happen? I mean, tell me, tell me about that process. It evolved. Uh, we had two natural children uh, born, one two years after we married, one four years after we married. And so after that, then I had a friend who came to me and said, um, I would like to see if you would take care of my friend's child. And I did not think about that per se, but it ended up that um, we did. I tucked her basically into our family. She grew up with my daughter, and she was always where we were. And then it began to expand, and then I realized I could have an income to help my family and love children and be at home and be a mom to not just my own children but to others. And so that's where my career evolved, and I did that for 43 years. Give me an idea of how many kids at any one time you might have been taking care of. Well, you could have, and I was a registered child care provider, you could have uh, six who were uh, preschool, and then after school you could pick up six more, so long as those six at home were not infants. You have to be able to handle and work with them. So there were times by the time school was at at the end of the day, I had 
maybe four or five preschoolers, and then we picked up four or five after-schoolers. And so then it was fix their snacks, find out what we could do, see how their day went, talk to them about what they had done, find an activity so that we can calm everyone down, whether it be inside or outside, work on something. Was it find the hidden objects in Mm -hmm. a puzzle or work a puzzle or we could color or we just would calm down and that favorite Christmas show or... Annie, or something that just amused and entertained us was where we could all just sit and snuggle and enjoy, and that would end our day. And that was a time before really the childcare business was was maybe quite like a, a corporate sort of business where right. you have standalone buildings and they're taking in 20 right. or 30 kids. I mean, it just happened in homes like yours. It did. It did. And over time, it became a registered event, and that's that way they were we were taken care of children and they knew how we were taking care of it. We went to classes, we had people that would come and talk with us, they would work with you if you needed nutrition help, which that was part of my my college training and so that was good for us. Anyway, it was um it was an experience that I loved. I did it because it fulfilled my need to have a large family. Most people who know your name locally know you because of the Christmas Project or other nonprofits that you're associated with. A lot of people may not realize exactly how long that's been a thing, how long you've been doing that. So tell me the story of of how that began. Actually, the Christmas Project started out of sadness, and I don't often tell this story, but we adopted a son who at the time was an older child. He was eight years old, and he was in the children's home in Panhandle. And he fit right in between our two natural children, our son and our daughter. We saw him play a basketball game. I could see him out there just running all over, and he was playing against my son's team. And so my husband was visiting with a dad right behind us, and I looked at him, and I went up, and I said, (laughs) just like it was just common, and I said, you see number nine, I'm going to go down and ask if he's adoptable. And he said, oh, sure, just go ahead and do that. Like I said, I think I'll go buy a hot dog. Hmm. And so I did. And he was adoptable. Um, all fam- all of his family was there. It was a large family. And so that was in October. In November, we brought him to our home for uh, Thanksgiving. In December, we applied. In January, we approved. And in February, we got him. And our caseworker said we did everything wrong. So it was meant to be. She said, you had already picked him out before you even applied. You're not supposed to do that. It's not supposed to happen this fast. Well, it was a blessing. But in doing that, there were, of course, additional children in the children's home. And my heart just had love for all of them. So we applied. I talked to Wayne very, very hard and long, and we applied for two more who were sisters. What we didn't apply for was the whole family, which there were two brothers also. And Wayne made me promise that if we did not get them, this was the end of applying. We were going to raise the three we had. We had college ahead of us. We had many other things to do. Well, I was positive we were going to get them, so I promised. Mm. We did not get them, and the reason was a family in Oregon took all four, and that's what should happen. That was the way it should have been. Well, at that time, we found out at a time that the Salvation Army bells were just beginning to ring, holiday decorations were going up, and although I had three fabulous children, my heart was sad because I thought we were going to have five. 
So I went to my friend Betty Solis, trying to make myself feel better, and I said, let me have a family from your school, which was Glenwood, who might need a boost during the holiday season. I could do something that could cheer them up when I was cheering myself up. So she gave me a family with 11 children. Wow. So with doing that, um, remember I said I had a whole lot of sister-in-laws. So I got all of my sister-in-laws together and said, okay, here is our focus. We have this number of children. They're all young children. And we can do whatever we choose. They don't have a mother. She had just died of cancer. They had a working dad. So we did the things you would do for Christmas. We did cars and trucks and dolls and new clothes and new coats. And uh, we put food in the cabinet. We did find out the children were sleeping three to a twin bed, four to a double bed. And so we had somebody who said, I have a bunk bed pattern. Let me build six sets of bunk beds. So somebody else said, we'll buy the new mattresses. And someone else said, we'll buy the sheets. So we took care of all of that. So I went back to Betty and I said, we're finished. And she said, you know what? There is just one more child. I said, well, okay. So, but one more led to one more and one more and one more. And those first 11 led to be 43. But All in, that same Christmas? Yes, yes, that was right then. Mm. So then she and I in January were waiting outside of Crockett Middle School where both of our sons were playing basketball. She had a son my son's age. And she said, I had eight children who did not come to school all this week. I said, chicken pox or flu? She said, no, not either one. She said, it is so deathly cold out. They cannot walk from their front doorstep to the doorstep of the school without literally freezing to death. They don't own coats. Mm. And I thought, my sister and I always had a coat. Maybe not a new coat, but we always had a coat. So I went back to my wonderful supply of sister-in-laws, and I said, look, go to the closet with your children. If Dennis has two coats, ask him to pick out his favorite. And then explain to him there are children in our community who have no coats and see if he'd be willing to give up that coat. So I did friends that way, I did relatives that way, and I would just take them to Glenwood. But after the third year, God got through this thick skull and said, it's not just one school or two schools. Both of those needs are in all schools. So God had me on my on his path by my sadness of wanting to help myself feel better and another family to have a holiday spirit. And he put me on this path. He just didn't tell me what the path was going to be like. So now we are, this Christmas, this Christmas is 40 Christmases later. And with that, um, we now are doing somewhere between 6,000 and 8,000 a year. And our coats, depending on whether it's one year or the other, we're between 2,500 and 4,000 coats a year only because I tried to make myself feel better. Yeah. So, you know, they always tell us he has a way of getting his way, and this was the path he wanted, and I would never have chosen it. I already thought I was a busy person. It's just he had a way of doing it gently. So. And, and for most of those years, you were you know, managing this organization, all the different volunteers, all those different things, just as sort of a, a side thing. I mean, you... I had a job. Yeah, you were working, and yeah. that was not your full-time gig. No. 
no, I had a job. I had all my little angels I could love. I, I did like we all do. I volunteered at church. I was on the PTA, PTA president. I did what I thought I was supposed to do to be part of our community and definitely involved with my family and my husband. We even had a foreign exchange student. I mean, we just did what you're supposed to, in our opinion, reach out and do. And the project was tucked right under my wing, right under Wayne's wing, and we just went about doing what you're supposed to do. So um, it just evolved that here we are, here we're going to do this, and it's our side love. Mm -hmm. But it also became a major love. Um, As my daughter married, my son married, their families began to grow, and we ended up with a baby bed always at the Christmas workshop because we would work in the evening. And if we had a new angel that was one of my grandchildren, that little angel slept while we went about doing what we wanted to do and needed to do, and that is just part of life. And the Christmas workshop, it's grown certainly over the past 40 years, but it's not the only nonprofit endeavor now that you have going. So tell me about the others. Actually, Evelyn's Sunshine Cottage grew out of the Christmas workshop. As we would work through the workshop, and especially my great, great friend, Lana Fincher, who is an educator, we would talk about what could we do that our single-parent moms who have a family do not have to exist on nonprofits, go from one nonprofit to the next to solve their everyday needs. And it always came back to one word, and that was education. If we could help single-parent moms become educated and be the role model for their children, then we could get both the mom and the children off of the nonprofit existence, become educated, and they're not on the government system any longer. They can be freestanding, independent, and know that they can take care of their family and they can give back. So as we talked and talked and talked about that, it became somewhat of a buried thought. And one evening in 1999, uh, Wayne and I were having dinner with very close friends of ours, James and Janice McCowan. And James said, I need to sell an apartment for Lance, who has moved to Austin. I thought, huh, okay, James, where is this located? And he said, well, it's five blocks from Amarillo College, five apartment complex, uh, big trees, brick streets. I said, huh, I think I would like to see about buying that. But the thing is, two things. I had never mentioned this thought to Wayne. (laughs) So you understand how those bobble dolls are in some vehicles. Well, when I said to James, I think I'd like to see about purchasing that, he jerked his head around and looked at me and he said, what in the world are you going to do with an apartment? Well, my statement was, just sit back and listen and then sign on the dotted line and I'll show you. Well, so that was in October. And remember, I have a Christmas project facing me right then. And the other thing, I had not a penny in my pocket to undertake that. So... The person who was helping James to sell the apartment called me in about two weeks, and he said, Evelyn, it has been sold. And I said, okay, you know, that's, I don't need to think about that right now. It's a busy time. In January, I received a phone call from the same gentleman. He said, Evelyn, the deal fell through. 
I thought, wow, what a way you have, sir, of putting these things in my thought process and then putting it on my plate at just the right time. Well, again, I had no money. I did not know how to fundraise. I did not know how to raise grants because I had never written a grant. Mm -hmm. So my good friend, uh, Lana Fincher, had shown me how to write a grant for the Christmas project. When she did, she just kind of let me loose, and I took as much as I could remember and as much as she showed me, and I thought, you know, in my opinion, I have a story to tell. Let me just tell my story. Let them see what's on my mind. So with Lana's suggestions on the Christmas project, we wrote nine grants. And when we did, the first one came back, and I hopped around the kitchen like the Easter Bunny, and it was a yes. And the next eight came back as a yes. Wow. So when we went to the closing of the building that we're presently in for the Christmas project, we paid cash for our building. And that showed me how to do what I needed to do for the Sunshine Cottage. The name became Evelyn Sunshine Cottage, and it was not supposed to. I did not want my name involved in this project, but my good friend, Cindy Barella Graham, said, yes, Evelyn, I'm helping you get this together, and your name is going to be involved because you show the community what you have on your mind you accomplish. And I wasn't sure I wanted it that way. It wasn't about me. It was about what the community could help us to do for other people. So we ended up going to the bank, and Wayne wanted me to learn to get interest rates, obtain loans, et cetera, on my own, so I knew how to do this. So we didn't write a grant to purchase the property. We took out a construction loan. This apartment building was being heated by the ovens of the stoves. So that is how much work we had to do. Wow. Um, it was built in 1927. So it had five apartments, so we just had to go to the studs and start over. But so many people came forward, churches, businessmen. It just became incredible of the giving and the love for what was going to happen here. And then somebody suggested, as we were getting close to finalizing, I have a, a suggestion of a person that might want to be and be what you need in your apartments. And the way that came about was she had some really, really pretty planters in the preschool where she was the head. And I talked to her about the planters, and when we finished, she had a name for the Sunshine Cottage, a mom with three children. So that was one of my very first ones, and we filled it up. That one, that very first one, in four years, taking 19 hours a semester, working a full-time job, raising three children, graduated with a 3.8 out of a 4 point, And I knew we were on the right track. So tell me what Sunshine Cottage provides you know, for these moms. It, it's a place for them to live, a safe place where they can come home, they can work on you know, the homework and all that stuff, and they just have that support, and their families have that support while they're going to school. Is that the best way to describe that it? That is a perfect way to describe it. We own now... Because of grant writing, we own eight houses that the mom doesn't live in community. It's that family lives as though they were living in their own home. This is their home. So they live in their own home, pay minimal rent. We pay the utilities. 
We provide them because college anymore requires a computer. Mm -hmm. We provide the computer and high-speed internet. We provide everything in their home. It's totally furnished down to the towels, the pots and pans, the dishes, the sheets. It's totally furnished. It's painted cheerful because I feel like if they've had a pretty tough day, that when they walk in and close the door, this apartment puts its arms around them and says, you know, you're home. It, you feel blessed, and tomorrow can be a better day. So we take care of uh, Christmas. We take care of back-to-school clothes. We take care of the fourth week of the month when many of us run out of mm-hmm. funding. We take care of what we call fourth-week pantry. That's where I go to the store, and I buy fresh fruits and vegetables, chicken, dairy products, whole wheat bread, things that they can introduce their children to possibly food that the child has not been introduced, and it's healthy, and they can learn with the mom's help what it's all about to have a healthy eating week, and that's what we provide. We, on the third week, provide a gasoline gift card so they can go and fill up their car. Um, We have incentives. I don't know if it's a bribe or an incentive, but my grandpa used to give me a quarter if I would make an A. Mm -hmm. So we tell them. If at the end of the semester you bring us your transcript and you have one A or four A's, we're going to pay you $50 for each of those A's. That's free money. Wow. Work hard because that's for you. If you want to go have your nails done, if you want to save it because you might have to have a new tire, however your thought process is, it's your money. We're not going to judge how you spend that money. So that is a gift from us to them. We have people that are very, very kind at our thought of what we're doing that help to offer them the opportunities to apply for scholarships. And our girls have, in many instances, been selected to receive scholarships simply because of what they're doing. And we're, we are very, very proud of that. Uh, we do all of this. Everything we do has no government funding and no United Way funding. Wow. We, I have a... <laughs> You've heard that wonderful saying of faith, hope, and love. I love the saying, but I've altered it slightly. It's called faith, hope, and beg, because I hope with the faith that the community likes what we're doing, hope is that they will give to us in some manner, and if all else fails, I beg, because it's not for me. It's not about me. It's about the success these moms are having and that they are the role model for their children. We have eight moms and 25 children right now. And this December, we will graduate our 20th mom. And all but three have graduated with four-year degrees. And two of those have their RN degree. And one of those chose to do an associate's in criminal justice. So we are very proud of our moms. If they say, you know, at the end of their associates, I'm tired. I am schooled out. It's time for me to get a job, move out, do whatever. I tell them, I'm proud of you. I love you dearly. Let's take the clipboard. So I draw a line in the middle of the clipboard, straight up and down. And I say, let's write at the top, two-year degree, four-year degree. Two-year degree. Now, this is your job opportunity list. Here's your paycheck. And this is your job opportunity list on four-year degree and your paycheck. Now, I want you to think about it before you say, I'm definitely moving. And most of them say, you know, I've rested a little. I feel much better. Why should I leave what I have? I have friendship. I have love. I have support. 
when I get finished with my four-year degree, I'm in a much better place. And my children can see the opportunity of education. We have moms finishing up. They have moved out after their four-year degree, finishing up their master's. We have one that was nominated for Woman of the Year for the community in which she lives. Um, We have success. We have one that is just now starting on her nurse practitioner. We have one that is in right now that can't decide if she wants to be a lawyer or if her daughter wants to be a lawyer who's Hmm. a teenager. Uh, We have one who wants to be a doctor, first nurse practitioner, then a doctor. So why not encourage them to work for their dreams, go for their dreams, We're going to be here to encourage you that if that's where you want to be, we want you to be there. So that's the environment that Evelyn Sunshine Cottage has. It's yellow walls. Mm -hmm. It's happiness. It's a place for your children to play. It's safety. Um, They're big. They're mostly three-bedroom and four-bedrooms. So we feel like that in time, we would like to have more two-bedrooms for that mom who does have only one child. Or maybe two children. Maybe that will come. We will see. We'll see if that's in the future. We work very hard as a fantastic board. Our board is very, very ingrained in fundraising. Um, They are very ingrained in telling the community of what we're accomplishing, which to me, if you are taking families out of the homeless shelters, which is from where I obtain many of my families, uh, Faith City Mission, Martha's Home, Diane Gilmore at the... Downtown Women's Center, Salvation Army. So if I go to the managers and directors of any of those and say, I need a family, the mom has desire and determination. She is ready. She's over anything that in her past would interfere. Then put her in that last boat and send her to me. We'll interview. We'll talk about it. We'll see if she's ready to actually settle down and do what she needs to do to walk across that stage in however many years she chooses and has a college diploma. That's our goal for her. I'm struck that, you know, you moved here 40 plus years ago wanting to have a large family and you've ended up with not just the Christmas project, but but with the Sunshine Cottages. And there's 20 women who have passed through and all these kids running around and, and you've just got a family of dozens and dozens of people where you can walk around the campus here, uh, the, all the houses, and the kids treat you like their grandmother? They do. Did you ever see yourself doing any of this? I mean, is this no. a surprise to Yes. You? In fact, I have told my sweet husband many times, when I was a senior in high school, we always had a Christmas Spanish club performance, and we would sing the Christmas carols for the whole school in Spanish. Well, then that night was the PTA, and well-attended PTAs. And my very best friend was supposed to teach both the school and the evening group the uh, jingle bells in Spanish. And darn if she didn't come down with the flu the day that it was going to happen. And Miss Ware, my Spanish teacher, said, Evelyn, you're going to get to do this. Oh, my goodness. So I did. And it wasn't that I was the star student in Spanish. I wasn't. But anyway, taught them both upper, I mean, the evening and the morning, Jingle Bells in Spanish. My psychology teacher, I can see her plain as day, walking down the aisle of the auditorium, walked right below me when I finished, and she said, here's my prediction. Someday you're going to do public speaking. I said, "Mm -mm, not me, not this person. And here we are. 
I have a comfort zone most of the time when that need arises because it's not about me. It's that because I'm doing it, it's for somebody else's sake. And that brings on the comfort zone, the easiness to say, whew, okay, I can do this. And that's the way I feel about it. But I had no clue, no desire, no dreams. I was going to grow up and go to college and get married and have a family and be the mom that made chocolate chip cookies and could make dresses and kept a great house. And that was the way life was going to be. I've done all those things. Right. But I added a few more things to it. And I'm just as happy as I can be because I've been able to do this. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Beatenbow Homes. With more than 25 years of experience building homes, Beatenbow serves families looking to build a new home across West Texas, including the new Heritage Hills or Tradewind Square neighborhoods in Amarillo. Beatenbow's quick move-in homes start at prices as low as $1,100 a month making the dream of owning a new home a reality for local families. Now, Beaton Bow is an employee-owned company ranked among the top 100 builders in the nation by Builder Magazine, and they were recognized with the Hearthstone Builder Humanitarian Award for decades of public service. Beaton Bow's employees and leaders are also committed to ministry and giving back to their communities. They're, they've donated to hundreds of nonprofit organizations here and around the world. To learn more, visit beatenbow.com or call 877-620-4594. That's beatenbow, B-E-T-E-N-B-O-U-G-H, or call 877-620-4594. Okay, I'm back with Evelyn Rivers McCoy. Evelyn, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. Your job is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you would like to. Uh, let's start with one that's specifically for you, other than your own, and I know you're just so involved in the nonprofit community here in Amarillo, but other than your own, what's one local organization that you really love? Jason, my heart is with this whole community, and I'm blessed to know many nonprofits. So for me to pick one, you're really putting I'm me on I'm asking you to spot. pick, like, who's your favorite child you've it's, ever cared it's for? It's hard. It's hard. I would say at this very moment, because I see the success that they are having, the Colorful Closets clothing uh, room. It houses in my own Christmas project. I see the strength, the desire, the accomplishment of Lindsay and Keeley helping our children to have self-esteem, to have clothes on according to what the season might be, Mm -hmm. to even fit them for Halloween or Christmas dress or something that builds them. And it's not like they just have two outfits. They make it so that they can go a whole week or maybe even two weeks where they can feel proud of who they are. And the clothes are put in bags that they are clean and they're coordinated. And I feel like these women give their heart and soul every single day to make our children feel good about themselves. And their story is a lot like yours. They were a couple of moms that saw a need and started to meet that need, and then it just blossomed into this bigger thing. It has. And they, I have to say, they helped my children on the Christmas project, and they helped my children right here in the Sunshine Cottage. I cannot praise them enough for their efforts. Two women, and I realize they have volunteers, and I realize they have donors, but two women pulling this idea together and making it work like they do is great. 
When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Oh, dear. Uh, maybe about 20 years ago when my children were, our, our grandchildren were still young and, and vivacious and energized. But I have to admit, I have not been down there in a long, long time. Okay. And it is a beautiful part of our area. Please do not get that wrong just because I have been there. Don't follow your example. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. What does this area have too much of? This area to me has an overinflux of repetitious nonprofits that could be possibly melded together to where they are not so watered down and strength in numbers would allow them to possibly pull their time, their energy, their money, their volunteers together in a more uh, beneficial way to possibly do whatever that that chore is, to do it in a more positive, more effective, more creative way to help their need. All right, so that's a really interesting answer um, because something that we have too much of, really what you're saying is that it's, it's generosity and it's people wanting to help, people wanting to do something, but because maybe we have a whole lot of those people all starting a different nonprofit, that that whatever, whatever they're wanting to do is not quite as efficient maybe as it could be if there was more communication and more cooperation between the different, you know, the different organizations. As the year started last year, we were told, and I realized they are extremely varied. It could be churches. It could be many, many things. But Amarillo had 404 nonprofits. And there are duplications right. that if some of those could meet and say, well, you know, if we melded, we could put our space, we could put our energies, we could put our volunteers, we could put our monies together and make it even better by putting two into one. Um, and whether or not that will ever happen, I don't know. But because I am in nonprofit and I feel very blessed by the giving community that we have, and I, I just cannot thank our community enough for all that they do in time and energy and money, not just for me, but for all nonprofits. But if we could meld them better together, mm -hmm. we might be even to be more effective. Uh, rather than watering down, let's build it up. Yeah, I mean, competition is good in the business world, but you don't really want nonprofits competing for the same pool of money. You want them to be able to take those resources and do the most that they can do with those resources. And if it's spread out in an inefficient way, then maybe you're not accomplishing as much as you can. That's right. Hmm. Uh, we're looking at Christmas right now. One thing that many of us are facing is funding. Funding is difficult. And who is going to suffer on that funding are our teenagers. So if we could come together and meld in a big grouping that we could all put our funds together mm -hmm. to take care of teenagers, that's just one example, to take care of our teenagers so that all of those others who are going to receive, receive, and our teens also receive, it's just a thought. Okay, that, that's really interesting to think about. I, I'm sure there's some really smart person that can figure out how to get Pull it together. Yeah, pull that together, get more yes. cooperation that way. Uh, what does this area not have enough of? Oh, wow. You know, for me to live in this town as long as I have, I haven't found a negative part. And so for you to ask that question, I so am saying You're yes, having to go against your personality. You are to... asking the wrong person because I love every bit of it. Seriously, I'm 
I'm blessed to be here. And I've lived in two beautiful states. I've lived with family that loves me dearly. Um, I left that family when I moved here because my family doesn't and has never lived here. But I I can't think of one thing. It doesn't have. And I know my maybe my blinders are on and somebody can say, Evelyn, you should have thought of this. And that's true. But right now, I'm not going to find something. Well, the nonprofit work that you've done has addressed a need. So, you know, maybe some of those things are we, we have people that don't have enough coats for Christmas or people that, that don't have true. the opportunity for education. You're working to fix that. So, Well, there are many that work to fix that. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we work hard to make our community absolutely the best. I'll accept that as an answer. How do you describe people, or how do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? So if you're talking to family back home in Arkansas or, you know, talking about what you do here with, with grants and everything, how do you talk about Amarillo? You know, there are people that call us the uh, truck stop village or the, the windiest city I've ever been in. Or the only time I've been there, it was a terrible snowstorm with winds, gust, and it was blizzard conditions. And I just overlook all of that. And I say, you need to live here. You know, you can plant a tree in Amarillo, Texas, if you've come from a town or a city or a state where there were tremendous trees. You can plant that tree. But the people are what make up a fabulous community in which to live. I cannot think of a community that is more caring. They talk to people on the street. Perfect example. After I went back to Arkansas, I had lived here probably 10 years, and my mom and I were walking down the little town in which they live, and I spoke to everybody, just everybody. And finally, at the end of like three blocks, my mother said, do you know all those people? I said, Mom, I don't know one of them. But I said, that's the way it is in Amarillo. We talk to everybody. And she just looked at me with this question mark on her face. This is my daughter. I raised her. And here she is talking to everybody in my town. But it's just the way we are. We, God gave us a gift, and our gift is to be cheerful, happy, care about each other, make it the best town in which to live. What's your favorite local park? Well, I like the piece that the park at Medi Park offers. I love to just see the ducks just in their peacefulness. My life can get a little bit on the <laughs> uh, busy side. Especially uh, this time of year. It, it is, and it is busy right now. And I can go out there and I can de-stress. I can just walk a little. The wind, maybe it's gentle, maybe it's not. The ducks just paddle around. Sometimes they come up and they're right there by you. It is a, a tranquil feeling, and I enjoy that. My park close to home, I can walk about three-fourths of a mile, and I'm at Belmar Park, and I can walk that two or three times. I can hear the tires on the interstate sing. I can see the children play in the park. I can walk. I can think, and then I can walk back to the house. And so that one is my everyday. Okay. Um, I enjoy that. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Ooh, I like Roasters. Okay. <laughs> Roasters is um, it's a cheerful, happy place. Smells wonderful. People in and out. Um, get what you want and leave. Get what you want and stay. And everybody just makes you feel good and glad you're there. Is there a specific Roasters location that you go to? Uh, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. And then what's your favorite downtown building? Oh, I love Mrs. Bivens' home that is now the chamber. Um, I grew up in a part of Kentucky that had beautiful homes. My great-grandfather had a home that was laughingly in the community called the Coppin Castle. He was very much involved in the community in which they lived. He had a beautiful home. And I have a picture of that house. And my own grandparents had a wonderful home in which to live. 
And I like history, like that mm-hmm. part where you can imagine who lived there and what they accomplished. And the Bivens have done many, many things like all other wonderful names of pioneers in our community. And that home reminds me of somebody who lived there a long time ago that loved our community or that house would not still be there. It's true. Donated to our community to enjoy. I just like to drive by. It's tranquil. It's pretty. It has beauty from time past. Okay. That concludes the eight straight questions. Evelyn, I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something related to the area. So what's something, you know, whatever you want it to be that, that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? When I was asked what nonprofit basically would you uh, like to feel that you were going to concentrate, it's difficult because I am in the nonprofit with many, many people that I am blessed to be able to work. Um, so there are many that I would say I would like to endorse, so to speak, or, or hone in. One of those being I cannot think of a man's giving like Dr. Keister has given to our community of Heal the City. He has blessed the underprivileged. He has taken them under his wing. He has made them well. He has found others to do that. And I just admire him for every step he has taken to make that be a success for our community. You were saying earlier that some of your Sunshine Cottage families had benefited. And they have been treated like gold. They are just, everybody is treated so kind and so nice from those that I have visited with. And I admire what he has done and what his volunteers and the other medical staff, et cetera, have accomplished. I love what Diane Gilmore does with getting her mom's ready for the real world, and I admire Dorcas Vivens at the family shelter of Faith City Mission, taking her moms in, keeping them safe, allowing them to be there to learn who they are, let them talk about where they would like to be, and then she and I talk about, do you have somebody ready Mm -hmm. for me? And she'll talk about it, she'll think about it, and she'll call me and say, Evelyn, I think you need to interview this one. I trust her to the hilt. And I admire how she accomplishes it, and it's just another wonderful part of our wonderful community. Which is a, a good example of nonprofits collaborating with each Absolutely. other and to we fulfill do. the same mission. Yeah, we do. We want our families to be happy, healthy, independent, secure, off the government system, and they can then give back to the community. Evelyn Rivers McCoy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, I I feel honored to be here, and it's been a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much. And that concludes the episode. I, I want to say thanks to Evelyn for the interview, of course. If you'd love to uh, get involved or help out with her nonprofits, visit EvelynRiversProject.org. That's the coat drive. Or EvelynSunshineCottage.com. That's the housing for single moms who are pursuing their education. I want to say thanks also to Beat and Bow Homes for sponsoring the show and for the help, uh, the recording space offered by Union Hall. If you're interested in supporting this podcast as an individual, as a family, or as a corporate sponsor, visit patreon.com slash You can learn about doing it there. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. If uh, you're interested in what my guests look like, you can see photos of me and every guest by following on Instagram or on Facebook. Just uh, do a search. 
My name is Jason Boyette. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week.